So today we start a wonderful series in the book of Acts, and and as we go through the first couple nine chapters, it's a lot about um, uh, Peter's ministry and how the church got launched in Jerusalem, and then it spread to Judea and Samaria, and then we hit about chapter 10 on, and all of a sudden it explodes in Europe. And what I'll do is I'll bring in some of the footage, some of the photos, and as we begin to talk about the places that Paul traveled on his missionary journeys, you'll have a visual as well as have some teaching to go along with it. But today, we got to kick it off with Acts chapter 1, and you need a Bible. So please raise your hands. If you don't have a Bible, we'll bring one to you. The guys will bring one right where you're sitting at. You can borrow one for today, and I'll show you what page it is. In the Red Bibles, it's going to be page 770. But that's Acts chapter 1 for the rest of you, that you'd be able to look at that. Fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Today's lesson as a part 1 in the series is called Passion and promise. The launch of the early church. There's a couple quotes at the top of your notes if you take out that handout sheet. One was by John MacArthur, and he said, there is a sense in which believers don't even choose whether or not to be witnesses. You are witnesses. The only question is how effective your witness is going to be. See, the deal is if you call yourself a Christian, someone's going to find out about it. If you are a Christian, your work ethic is going to be slightly different. The way you handle things in school is going to be slightly different. And people pick up on oddity because it makes them nervous. You are a witness. Whether you like it or not, and the deal is, is as people stare at you and they look at you, what are you going to be? How are you going to stand there? How are you going to act? When they have pain, will you help? You are going to be, some of you, the only Jesus anybody ever sees. It is your job then, therefore, to know what's going on, to know what God requires, to live a life that people would be drawn to, to be in love with Jesus. That is your call. The second quote said this, and this was by Robert Murray McShane. It's not great talents God blesses so much as a great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister, someone like Jesus, is an awful weapon in the hand of God. You know, it's there's a million stories out there about preachers of the past that just started with nothing. They began to preach about Jesus and the snowball kept rolling. Kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until thousands crowded auditoriums just to hear about Jesus. That can happen from one. We have approximately, and we're growing all the time, we have approximately between the two services 250 adults and 90 kids. We have more than what they're going to have in the book of Acts that we're going to start out with. They had 120 in Jerusalem, and they had a little group in Galilee. And with those, they launched off the new church. And you're going to see that from this small band of people that were excited about God, that would be witnesses for God, that were in love with God, all of them were passionate, all of them were in one mind, all of them were on fire for God. And because of that, they launched the early church, and it became the dominant power in Western civilization for the next 2,000 years. What can happen here? What would happen if every one of us collectively and individually became on fire for God, we came together and we went out and transformed the world? What would happen? What would happen if you were a dynamic force in your workplace or in your schooling? What would happen if you and your family were the one that everybody would come to when they had great hurt in their heart? What if they began to be drawn to their Jesus just because they love you? 
What would happen? What would happen if individually in your life you actually began to live the way God has called you to live and all of a sudden you began to feel that what you were created for, you were now doing? What if? What would happen if you began to run your marriage like a Christian ought to run their marriage? And your wife loved you. Your husband loved you. Because they're in love with Jesus inside of you. What would happen if you ran your home with your children like Jesus would run? And your kids had to be torn away from you because they wanted to spend so much time with you. Because they respected you. Because they loved you. What would happen? We live in a world of possibilities. But our Bible gives us some answers and some promises to those possibilities. Our Bible, specifically in the book of Acts, is going to show you what it looks like when a church gets on fire and gets full of passion for God. That we have spent the beginning of this year talking about your personal passion. We talked about David. What's it look like when an individual is all excited about God and passion's pouring out? What can one man do? He can slay giants. He can lead a nation. But what happens when that man meets another man? And they meet a woman, and she meets another woman, and they begin to build together that bonfire. That is what you are about to see, that though one man changed the nation, a group of people changed the world. Would you read with me in Acts chapter 1? I'm going to be reading along here. Uh, you can just follow along with your eyes here. I'm reading out of the NIV, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. The reason is we must have a context. We're launching off a new book, and so we need to understand where we're at. So let me go ahead and read this. This was written by Luke. It was written to a man, a, a Roman official, they believe, named Theophilus. And it was wrote, written around AD 63 while Paul was still imprisoned at Rome in his first imprisonment. And it was written to a brand new church. People that had just experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they were about to transform the world. Let's read together here. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach because Luke wrote his gospel. I wrote about until the day he was taken up in heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men, meaning after the cross, he showed himself to these men and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them a command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. That is the word I want you to see today, is promise. Which my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, because John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, they believed him. When they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Meaning physically. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. Meaning, I don't have the answer to that question for you. But I got something more important to tell you. Look at this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up, literally lifted up before their eyes into the sky and a cloud hid him from their sight. 
They were looking intently or gazing longingly. They were looking up as if they had lost a friend in a moment. Into the sky where he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white, two angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. And why did he address them as men of Galilee? Because all of them were from Galilee except one, Judas. Where was he? He was gone. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Wasn't there a promise? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you saw Him go. So they returned Jerusalem to their little church, a church like ours, from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk or 2,000 cubits or less than a mile away. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those who were present were the eleven disciples. Peter, John, James, and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, son of James. I'd like you to look at verse 14. Because all through Acts, I'm going to show little key verses of what I want our church to become. And this is it. They all joined together in one mind constantly in prayer, along with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. By the way, two of his brothers, two out of the four that are mentioned, James and Judas wrote books in the New Testament. His brother Judas is Jude. He wrote the book of Jude and the book of James. Those are both brothers of Jesus. Not only eight months earlier, they were non-believers. James became the pillar of the church and became the leader of the church at Jerusalem. In those days, verse 15, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And he said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas. You remember him who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus? He was one of our number. He shared in our ministry for three years. With the reward he got for his wickedness, 30 pieces of silver, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is, field of blood, now known as the potter's field. First said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, that there be no one to dwell in it. And in the second messianic psalm, may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went out among us. Beginning from John's baptism three years ago to the time when Jesus was taken up from us just yesterday. For one of these must become a witness with us of what? The resurrection. So they proposed two men. Two men fit this bill. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of the two that you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belonged. And they cast lots, or flipped the coin, or drew straws. And the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. And they were ready to fly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you fill us full of promise this morning? That, Father, that your promise may lead about to our passion, that we may know that your promise is a guarantee. That whatever you say will come to pass. It may not be in our timing, it may not be in our way, but it is certainly going to come to pass. Father, would you make it as real to us as a fact of the past? 
Lord, would you change our lives today? In Jesus' name, amen. How many times have you wondered in your mind, well, the Old Testament doesn't seem to have anything to do with the New Testament. They seem to be so diametrically opposed. you got a mean God, a nice God, not sure how they all work together. I just wanted to suggest to you a big picture. Let me tell you what the Old Testament's all about. It started out, and you know all the stories in Genesis, but it ended up with a man by the name of Abraham, and through his lineage came the Jewish nation. God said, I want the whole world to know. I need witnesses in the world to let them know that I love my people. I need witnesses all over the world that would tell people, please come back and worship your God. He wants to know you intimately. I need that type of witness, so I'm going to make one nation that will spread out and tell the whole world and will be a beacon of light that when some people begin to ask in the quiet of their bedroom, who is God, they would know where to go. So he launches out the Abrahamic covenant and he says, I will have a chosen people. I will promise I will have a chosen people for the whole world. Then the Mosaic covenant comes down and we see that he says through Moses, I will, I intend, I promise to deliver you. Then the Mosaic law comes in where we see all these do's and don'ts and the commandments and merely what that is, is God's expectation. Because wouldn't you feel terrible if you never knew what God wanted from you? So he gave you instructive work. Then it moved on to the sacrificial system, and that was God's promise that I will make a way for you to be with me in intimacy. I will provide a way. And then finally, he promises them a new land, the promised land. I promise you an inheritance. Well, the New Testament is the same way. It follows the same exact system. Here's how it goes. New Testament starts out with a new church where we're at, chosen for the new world. That he opened up the promise of his chosen people in Israel and he gathered in a bunch of non-Jews. And he said, I need witnesses everywhere to the ends of the earth. They're not doing it. I'm opening it up. I'm gathering you in and that's why we come to church. He said, I promise that I will have a holy priesthood, a holy nation. I will have my people. Then he moves on to Jesus' word and his life. That presents that God promises that he will initiate close contact with his people. Then the books of the New Testament are sharing God's expectations to show you what he demands of you. What, as he pours out his love, how your love should respond to him. And then we see Christ's sacrifice and his ascension by the cross and his resurrection saying, I will provide a means to be intimate. It's the same story all over again. And finally, there's a promise of a new world. I will give you an inheritance. See, the Old Testament and the New Testament are all the same story. God wants to be near you. God wants desperately and will go to any length by which to capture your attention and bring you into his fold. That God will be intimate with you. He wants a personal relationship with you and he will not settle until he has that. And he will tell you that if you walk with me, I promise you fantastic things. Will there be pain? Yes. The word witnesses that we see in Acts, he said, you will be my witnesses, is martyries in Greek. What does that sound like? Martyrs? This same word turned from witnesses to people who would die for their faith because it costs to follow Jesus. The world doesn't like you anymore. 
He said, I'm not promising you creature comfort. I'm not promising you wealth. I'm not promising that you're going to have a million friends. But I promise you that inside you're going to know that you're doing what you were created for. I promise you all the conflict will be resolved. And I promise you I'll take you home. There are five times in history there's been a huge outpouring of miracles. They were all for a specific purpose. We hit the fifth today. In creation, God direct, boom, just launched out to create. Moses and the plagues in Egypt, boom, to liberate. Elijah and Elijah in first and second kings, boom, hits it to declare the world that God is still sovereign and that all men must be drawn to himself. Jesus and his earthly ministry, boom, to validate, here's God. And then at Pentecost, in the early church where we're about to read, where we're about to study, boom, to inaugurate a new world. I will tell you that we are cruising off that, that that same church that was launched 2,000 years ago is why we have a church today. The fact that I can go all over the world and there are Christians everywhere. While I was in Turkey, we met with a missionary family. There were Christians there. When I went to Greece, we went over there, there was Christians there. No matter where I went, I kept running into Christians. Why? Because of the book of Acts. Because the Spirit promised you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And God always keeps His promises. But He's got some promises for you today. And I just wanted to share a few things about that. He said, I'd like you to picture in your mind what it's like to be the early church. What it's like to be just like us. And we knew Jesus. Jesus used to hang out with us. And then they killed him. And we were horrified. But we remembered he gave a promise. He gave a promise that in three days he would rise again. But we don't know if his promises are good or not. We've never had something this big. We didn't know if we were going to be left alone. Sure enough, he shows up. And he makes good on his promise. And that's why Luke starts out. He said, you know what? I wrote a two-volume set. Two books. I wrote the Gospel of Luke and I wrote the book of Acts. You don't read the book of Acts till you know the Gospel of Luke. Because the only reason why we got the book of Acts is because Jesus rose again in the book of Luke. He said, that two-volume set, if you're going to be witnesses, you better know what you're talking about. So I would suggest that you study the Word. I would suggest that you get in there and find out what Jesus said and did. I, I would encourage you that as you read it, you take every word as if it was meant for you. You pour it into your life and you begin to live a brand new dynamic life. That you begin to live and act like Jesus lived and act. Because if you do, people will be drawn to you and you can point them to Jesus. And that is the whole reason why we're here. You know, you think about why we're here. If it was only to become more godly, why not just die? Go to a resurrected state. What God wants is He wants more and more true worshipers of Jesus Christ that worship in spirit and truth. And we have a double-fold ministry. Number one, we got to run around and tell everybody that doesn't know Him that He is the King. That He has provided a means of intimacy. That their God, who created them, wants to know them intimately and wants to be a part of their life. That's number one. Number two, our second-fold goal is that we challenge and train each other and we share our gifts to minister to one another that we would be built up and learn how to worship and how to know Christ more. You want to know what our church is about? That's what it's about. 
In the coming months, that's going to be fleshed out in a much more specific way as God reveals it to me, as I study Scripture and try to sort it out for us. But that's it in a nutshell. But he launches it right here. And he says this, I know that you don't feel equipped. I know you don't feel strong. The disciples had just ruined everything at the cross. They all scattered except for one, John. Then sure enough, Jesus comes back and Thomas, one of the other guys, goes, I don't believe it. There's doubt. There's fear. There's running. They used to run behind locked doors and they would only worship for fear of the Jews in a tiny little compartment. But all of a sudden, they saw that Jesus came back from the dead and they started worshiping out out in the temple square. They began to get more bold and they began to get riled and say, you know what, I think we can do this. They had a feeling of promise in their heart that what Jesus said would come to pass. And they began to feel it well up in their spirit. They said, you know what? Something's going to go down here. Something big is coming. And I'm ready to go. i got to get my life in line so that when that gun hits, bam, and it shoots and you take off running, that we are ready to run. Is that you? You see, what I hear from you, and I'm only putting my ear out there and trying to listen to what you have to say, but here's what I hear, and I hear it a lot from new people coming to the church. They said something big is going to go down. God's rumbling something underneath this church. We're about to explode. Not numeric, numeric growth. I have no idea if God wants to grow us or not. That's not the point. Something's rumbling spiritually. We're about to be unleashed on the world. But when that gun fires... Will you be sitting back there in your lounge chair and we all take off and we have to go back and get you? It's going to slow down the race. I am calling every one of you to be so in love with God that your life comes in focus. I'm calling you to be sold out. I'm calling you to put things aside and be focused on Him. I'm calling you to be part of the team. Because we can all do things much greater together than we can ever do apart. I'm one guy. People don't listen to just one guy. They listen to a group, especially in this day and age. If you're not with me, I'm useless. I need you. I need every one of you to minister back and forth. I can't keep the church alive. You do. When I was gone, the church ran just fine. Why? Because you make up the church. I'm only one part. But if you're that important, you've got to be watching where you're living. You've got to be watching how you're doing it. Is it about rules and regulations? No, it's about in love with Jesus. These people were in love with Jesus. They constantly came together with one goal in mind. God, what do I do today? God, I'm tired of going to work and feeling like I'm not accomplishing anything. I want to be a part of something greater than myself. I don't want to just shuffle papers. I don't want to just file. I don't want to just be a homemaker. I don't want to just do this. I want to rip the world apart for you. How do I do that? He said, love me. But Lord, what about all that other stuff? You know what? It'll come in line. Don't worry about it. But Lord, I got all this sin and I'm all in bondage and I don't even know I can't put this down or do this. That's all right. We'll work on that. Do you love me? Because if you love me, things begin to drop away. It's a process. He's not in a rush. I may be pushing you because that's my job. But Jesus is giving you comfort today and a promise. We got some big things coming. Will you be ready? Acts basically gives us a transition point of all the gospels funneling through and then exploding out 
the epistles don't make any sense until you have the book of Acts. Because there weren't any of those churches before the book of Acts. You read the book Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians. None of those churches existed before the book of Acts. If we don't study this book, church didn't go anywhere. It was only in Jerusalem, only in Galilee, a local region. But here are the promises that he gives. He gives five promises. And I wanted to highlight those because these are the same promises for us today. He gives us five promises. The first promise he gives is the promise of a coming Holy Spirit. I would tell you this, that we are past that age that the Holy Spirit is unleashed in the world and that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus enters your life, he doesn't come in all alone. He comes in with the Holy Spirit. The deal is, wherever Jesus is, the Holy Spirit sticks. You will notice that in the past, it says Samson, the Holy Spirit's power came upon him. He pushed down the pillars. But when his hair was cut off, what happened? Holy Spirit departed from him. For David, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He did a mighty thing in his war. The Spirit departed from him. That it came and went and came and went. Well, when Jesus came down, it says when he was baptized by John, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and remained upon him. Holy Spirit sticks to Jesus. Jesus is in your heart. The Holy Spirit sticks right there. When you come to know Christ and you get saved, Holy Spirit comes into your life. You don't need to look for another baptism. You don't need to look for another move of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are times when the Holy Spirit will come in charging to empower you for a specific purpose. And he said, you know what? i got to get you fired up because if I don't, you're going to lose courage and you're going to fail me. I'm going to fill you up to do a specific task. He still does that. But that's an empowerment. That's a strength thing. You have the Holy Spirit inside you. So whatever you read about this... Whatever you read for the rest of the Bible happened through normal men with the same Holy Spirit that you have. That's powerful. The only reason we are not transforming the world is not because we're lacking spirit. Not because we're lacking power. Not because we're lacking Jesus. Because we're lacking focus. We only give God the leftovers. He is doing the best He can with what we're giving Him. Make sense? But he promises a second thing. He said, not only will you have the Holy Spirit when you have me, but I promise you power. With the Holy Spirit comes power. The word is dunamis. Dynamite. You will get dynamite. See, if you are a believer in Christ, you have access to the heavenly realms, it says, in Christ. If you are in Christ, you have access to everything that is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, our Bible says. That means that you don't have a lack of power, you have a lack of access to the power because you're not going through the right channels. You're trying to do it in your own power, you're getting burnt out and dried up. you got to connect with Him. I'll talk about that in one second. Number three, promise of authority as a witness. You are promised that you will now be stamped with an ambassador badge. You will now march under His banner. That you will now go out in the world and people are going to find you out. Like you got a little tag on the back of your head that says, I'm a Christian, ask me. You are going to walk around as his ambassadors, as his witnesses. What do witnesses do in a court of law? Do they go out there and answer all the questions? Do they solve the court? Do they handle the problems? Do they do all that? Do they give all the right answers? No. What do you do when you're called to court as a witness? You testify. What does that mean? It means tell me what you heard. Tell me what you saw. Tell me what you felt. You are not called to be the Bible answer man. Although that's useful. You are not called to be Billy Graham. Though that's useful. 
You are not called to necessarily grab someone, shake them, and make them become a believer. That's not your job. Your job is to tell them what you saw. Tell them what you felt. Tell them what happened in your life. Tell them what Jesus can do for them. Tell them about the promises. That's a witness. Will you be a martyr because of that? Perhaps. That's not for you to decide. The fourth promise is a promise of the restoration of the kingdom of God. They asked him, they said, Jesus, you're here. Why don't you set it up now? You guys know that Israel and Palestinians are fighting over this this place right now. I just opened up the paper today. Read through the whole thing. You know what? They're all over the place. They're fighting right now. And where are the Palestinians hold up? Church of the Nativity. Come on! This is Jesus' hometown, Bethlehem. There's tanks rolling through. People are firing and shooting people. Everybody's dying over there. Israel the whole time is going, this is our place. This is our kingdom. Our physical kingdom. We get it. The Palestinians, no. We were the firstborn son. This is our rightful place. We call this a Muslim place. This is our place. This is our religion. And they're fighting over earthly kingdoms. And the whole time, sure enough, these guys knew that in the Old Testament, it talked about an earthly kingdom being set up by the Messiah. Jesus called himself the Messiah. Why not set it up now? And Jesus said, you know what? It's going to happen. Trust me. But not yet. It's about the Spirit right now. Because I need hearts. I don't need land. I own everything. I don't need more stuff. I don't need tanks. I don't need cities. I don't need mosques. I don't need churches. I don't need buildings. What I need is your heart. That's the kingdom that's coming. That's the kingdom that's here. That's a kingdom inside each and every one of you. And the final promise was that Jesus was going to come back. What I thought was so neat was that the amount of promises that he gave are the same promises for today. Same promises for today. You've been promised that you can receive the Holy Spirit. If you don't know the Lord today, I'm going to beg of you to look into it. you got to know Jesus. I don't know how you sleep. It's too hard for me. I gotta have things right with my creator. I gotta know that my life matters. I gotta know that what I was designed for I can do. I gotta know that there's something greater than me. I'm gonna ask you, do you wanna know Jesus? Come to him today. That answer is yes. All you gotta do is pull me aside. I'll be here afterwards. I'll probably be the last one to leave. I'll be here. But the second promise, power. Is the power coming through you? How do you get more power? Do you remember that God's power fills up the vessel that you give it? It, Just like a thimble in an ocean, you only get a thimble full. There's plenty of ocean, just get a thimble full. How much are you going to give God to, to work with? The more and more you do things God's way, the more your capacity grows. The more and more you submit to the Spirit, the more your capacity grows. The more and more you give of your life, the more little corners of your life you give back over to Him, the more you shift your focus from yourself to Him, the more that you stop grieving the Spirit by the sin that you got going on in your life, the more and more you submit and pour out in love to Christ, the bigger your capacity gets and the power begins to fill in. The power's here. The power's promised. The power's for sure. How about you? What about your authority as a witness? You will be a witness. What kind of witness will you be? That's your decision.
come back and get you. You know, the the verse that says they looked up intently into the sky when he left means they looked as if they were losing a best friend. They couldn't hang on to his promise. And if you leave here today with that gazing look going, did I lose my best friend? Is God not going to live with me? Is Jesus not really going to fulfill his promises? I'm going to be like one of those angels that stand around and say, what are you looking for? We already promised it. Jesus is going to make good on his promise. He will take you home. But we must live, therefore, Revelation 12 says, because Jesus is coming back at any time and he's going to say, hey, what'd you do? What'd you do? You okay with me? Are we all right? Do you know me? Do I know you? What's, how are we doing? What'd you do? You okay? He's going to come back and check in with rewards in hand. Not condemnation. Rewards in hand. And say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And finally, the promises for us. Same promises extend to his body today. The kingdom of God that he gave these promises to are not just for all the churches that are true today, but the churches throughout history. We're one big church, one big family. Can I have the team come on up and close as I close with these last words? Promises, you see. Those five promises for you bring about passion. They bring about excitement of what could be. Think this week what could be if you and I live the lives that God designed us to live. Think what this church could do if we live those types of lives together. Think what could possibly happen that our hurts would begin to get healed. If we would look outside of ourselves, we would begin to minister to one another's needs. When someone was crying, we would be able to stop our lives, take time, and say what's wrong that we would begin to heal each other's relationships, that we wouldn't have bitterness with one another, that we'd have a lot more forgiveness, that we would begin to be better friends, better families, better marriages, better parents, and we would begin to culminate into the rule and kingdom of God that He has going into heaven. Do you realize that in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father which art in heaven, let Your will happen here as it is in heaven. In heaven, everything's going right. Well, His kingdom is in heaven, but where is it here on earth? in the church, in the lives of believers, in your life, if you continuously submit to Him, if you continuously give more to Him, He will begin to work in your life just like He does in heaven. And you know what? That's a promise. God makes good on His promises.